Good, good morning. So we are resuming our journey exploration, camping out in Jesus's uh, primary teaching, which is called the Sermon on the Mount. And it's, I, I, as you, you've heard me say several times, I see it as his magnum opus, the one that um, it's, a, it's a powerful teaching he gives. Matthew uh, captures it. Luke weaves it throughout his gospel. Don't know what happened to John and Mark, but no, it's, it's there as well. It encompasses um, what Jesus calls us to. What's interesting, we sang a song today called Jesus, be the center of my life. And being the center doesn't mean that we get warm fuzzies necessarily. Jesus will give you warm fuzzies every now and then. That's not what Jesus came for. (laughs) But that our lives will be shaped by Jesus and by what he calls us, the life he calls us into. That his, what he calls us into isn't for in the sweet by and by. It's for right now, today. It it's really is. He calls us into that. So keep that in mind. The other thing too, all of Jesus' teachings, especially the magnum opus, are conceived from what's called the royal law. Paul calls it that, and so does James. They reference the royal law, which would indicate that the early church recognized that the royal law being love your neighbor as yourself, that's the foundation of everything. Now, as we resume, just as something that was eye-opening for me, at Christmas, April gave to me a, well, I asked for it, <laughs> gave me a book called Running Your First Ultra. What was interesting is, as, I've, as I was going through, you know, on the, on the week after, um, I didn't even get, I got about, a, you know, flipping through quickly a quarter of the way, and then it's filled with a bunch of training plans. For 50K, 50 mile, 100 mile, right? All the training plans, right? And it dawned on me, I went, oh, the author, she expects you to go out and do the thing, <laughs> right? Like, it's like, wow. And then it was this thought, if I read this and, and, and have it all down pat and understand it, memorize it and all that stuff and don't go out, it means absolutely nothing. It's just a book that I've read, just information, right? And so I've started a plan, right? But as, as this thought was coming to me, it was like, oh, same thing with following Jesus. We can't, you can't just, you know, read the Bible, sing the songs, study the Bible, have it memorized, know all of maybe you've memorized Paul's missionary journeys. So what? There's an expectation from Jesus to participate in what he's doing and what he's doing in your own life and in the, throughout the world as well. It's both and, right? Both and. It was really, it's been really eye-opening for me. And, uh, and here's the other thing too. So working it out, so when it comes to running, is hard. Does, is the author trying to be mean to people? No. Wants to see the best out of people. It might seem hard in following Jesus and what he calls us to. It might seem also almost impossible. But is Jesus being mean? Not at all. With his spirit, with his Holy Spirit, we can be shaped, reshaped, and into the way that God has intended all along. And it's beautiful. It's a good journey.
So with that in mind, let me start with this story. Um, One of my primary duties as a police officer for nine years was community services officer. That's the friendly officer that goes into the schools and teaches, you know, Elmer the Safety Elephant and all that stuff, right? And I do do that. You also uh, go to the community, community clubs and service clubs and all that stuff and talk about crime prevention and blah, blah, blah. And you also interact with the press, media. So any media releases come out for major incidents, you're dealing with them. That's the primary job. One of the programs that was my favorite was called Values, Influences, and Peers. It was for grade six. I, was, I worked with the teachers in the schools. I had eight public schools that I looked after, and it was an excellent, excellent program. But like at age, grade six is what, age 11, 12, something like that? At that age, kids are very, you know, they're, they're starting to come out of their own, right? And they can get involved in stuff. They can get hooked into stuff. So we would touch on things like shoplifting, uh, vandalism, drugs, right, and all that stuff. We'd touch on that. But there was also social aspects that we touched on. And one of the teachings was called put-downs. The kids all understood what that was. (laughs) By grade six, they fully get it. They fully understand. And basically, one of the things we would say is that why, why people will put other people down is because of their insecurities, right? And, and what it is, is I think by putting someone down, I'm going to feel better, right? It makes me feel good for whatever weird reason, makes me feel good. But what I'm actually doing, though, is I'm bringing that person, trying to bring that person down to my level. Let the kids know that the reason people put others down They think poorly of themselves, and the only way to feel somewhat what they think better is to bring other people down. That's why they do it. And so that was one of the things we would teach, and uh, kids totally got it, right? They've experienced it, right? And uh, I'm saying that to say, in the first half of Matthew 6, which is right in the sort of the beginning of the middle of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about... how we protect our reputation. Um, In Matthew 6, the lengths people will go to protect their reputation, and especially when it comes to following God. And he mentions in Matthew 6 that the way, he says, don't pray like these people with their flowing prayers and they try to play publicly because what is it they want to, want to do? Look at me. Look how I pray. Look at the big words I use. And I'm so religious and so... Right? And Jesus said, don't do that. Don't do that. Okay? Go into your closet. Pray to God. Right? <laughs> That's what he said. And he, then he also talked about fasting. Don't do like the religious, some of the religious people do, which is they look gaunt. Notice me, I'm fasting for the Lord, right? They're trying, they notice me and look how religious I am, right? And Jesus said, don't do that. You know, put oil on your face or whatever it was to make you look, you want to look like you're doing great, right? Because that's between you and God. What Jesus was talking about there was how we try to manipulate other people. It's manipulative language. And we do this because we want to control other people. This is a prelude just as we enter into this next section here. And it's how I want you to see me, but it's also how I need you to be a certain way to make me feel comfortable, and I need you to behave a certain way that I approve of. 
And so we'll use that manipulation, right? We'll use that. And it's that whole thing of control, which is based in down underneath the insecurity that's within me. That there's, there's something in me that is insecure. And if there's something about you that makes me not feel uncomfortable, I will do or say things in hopes that you will conform to what I want, what I need, right? And I do those type of things. But if you're not cooperating and I feel like things are out of my control, there is a temptation to pull one of the weapons out of my arsenal to really try and force you to conform. And Jesus addresses this head on. Matthew 7, we're just going to look at the first two verses. 1 to 2, Matthew 7, 1 to 2, here we go. Do not judge others and you will not be judged. That's the weapon Jesus is talking about, but he doesn't end there. He continues with, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. You could almost add this, this to one of Jesus's commands because I don't know how else you take Do not judge others. You don't have to do a word study. You don't have to, you know, it's not, he's not, it's not like he's saying, I would recommend that you don't judge others or I suggest, or, you know, try your best not to, if you can at all help it. I know it's hard. He's not, no, he's just saying, don't judge others. Don't do it. Why? Because it's manipulative. And what Jesus is talking about is our attempt at getting our own way by using language that is condemning. That's why. That's the danger of drifting into judgment towards others. Um, I've referenced this guy here, Dallas Willard, his book. I know some of you are reading it right now. That's good. The Divine Conspiracy, it, it centers around the Sermon on the Mount, also what it means to be a disciple. It is a concentrated read, meaning it is like, you don't find much fluff in the thing, right? Which makes it just a little harder because if you're making notes, you'll just make so many notes in the book. And, and, uh, but it's a wonderful read. I recommend it for everybody who's a follower of Jesus. But Dallas Willard, in his book, in this section on the, the whole Jesus teaching on judgment, he has, in, like I think, in one of the top of a paragraph, uh, like a subheading, a sub-subheading or whatever, that says, the ministry of condemnation. When I first saw that, my brain goes... Is he being serious? It's like, is there a min- like he's not suggesting there's a ministry of condemnation? Like, is there a good condemnation? Like, what's he talking about? Like, should we have we have you know a, a senior pastor, a associate pastor? Should we have a pastor who is pastor of condemnation? <laughs> what do they do? <laughs> Condemn. 
I guess. <laughs> what, what, what he's inferring is that sometimes we'll cloak what we say, how we treat others. It's almost like it's a ministry. Like, I need to point something out to you about the way you are or the, what, you, what you're doing, right? There is no ministry of condemnation, by the way. So I want to begin by looking, talking about what judging is not. There are things that people judge. You can judge different things. Um, if you go sh- house shopping, you are, you're, you're doing, I know it's, you're doing an assessment, but you do come up with a judgment. I don't like that house. It's too old, or too new, or I, I like this one better, better pro. You know, we, we make judgment calls. That's what's judging. You assess, you weigh things, right? You go, what's best, what's better, right? We'll do that. That's, that's typical. And there are times when others will bring correction to us, right? That can seem like judging. And what you can't do, what I can't do, what I can't do is throw down that you can't judge me card, right? Because if correction is brought by, and at the same token being, you know, with honoring the person, correction is good. Parents, you correct your kids, don't you? I hope you do. When friendly police officer pulls you over, they're not condemning you. <laughs> I've had to tell people, you're, you're a good person. You don't have to cry. It's just a ticket. Think of it as a donation to the Ontario government. It's okay. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but we throw that down. Who are you to judge me? And addressing behavior is necessary at times because that's how we learn. It's, we need people because we, we have blind spots in our life. And we need correction. We need people to come alongside in love and with honoring who we are as human beings and bring correction to us. We need that, right? Um, because there's sometimes we do things knowingly or unknowingly. And we just need someone to come alongside and go, "Uh, not sure. Fun example. Earlier this week, I got an email. And uh, it it was regarding an inappropriate comment I had made in my teaching last week. What they felt was an inappropriate comment in my teaching last week. Not going to mention it because that's not what this is about. (laughs) Okay. And was the person correct in pointing it out? Yes, of course. Absolutely. Yes. Was I happy, overjoyed that I received that? Absolutely not. No, why would I be, right? You know, no. Um, but there's three things that I did. One was I talked to Jesus. That was one. And there was a bit of whining and a bit of complaining in that, but it was still talking. We had a conversation. The second thing I did was I took myself out of that and looked at it without me in it and went, hmm. I took myself out of what that comment and just looked at the comment. And you know what I found? Hmm. That could have been seen as inappropriate or not quite cool. And it was like, okay. And, this, and the third thing I did was I met with the person. We chatted. We talked about it, right? That was good to do. 
That is not judging. That is not judging at all. Where things go sideways is rather than judging the behavior while maintaining the dignity of the person, where it goes sideways is when I take that behavior and I clothe the person in that behavior and I go after the person. That's the problem because then it turns into it's words then of condemnation. Example, simple example. So my little child, I catch my little child stealing cookies from the cookie jar. And I go, why did you take those cookies when I told you not to? And the little child goes, I did not take them. Two approaches. One, you're not telling me the truth right now. That. Or two, when I clothe them, you're a liar. Totally different. Totally different. Now I've spoken to their personhood, who they are, who, who I'm saying they are, as opposed to saying, hold on, this, this behavior that you did, or what you said, right? That's not cool. That's not good. You're not telling the truth, right? And to be like, you know better than that. Don't do that, right? Don't do that. Put the cookies back. <laughs> that's, that's what it would be. But that's where I need to address behavior, but not go after the person, not put that behavior on top of the person. That's what I don't want to do. And Jesus says to us who follow, it's not what love does. It's not cool. Don't do that. Don't enter into the place of judging, of bringing condemnation to other people. Now we've all experienced receiving that. I'm sure as a kid, if you were growing up, I'm sure you may have received that. You may have received it from your parents or whatever, because when parents get frustrated, they say things sometimes at their kids that, you know, aren't cool. But, and you don't forget that. There are some times where this condemnation is, is something is fired at you and that sticks with you and you can almost trace it all through your life, how that has impacted your life. It's imprinted on you. It's like, it's like it's misshaping you a bit. And you walk with that bit of a limp, right? That's, that's what that does. So why is this not, why is this not cool? Why isn't this what love does? There's three reasons. To love God means that I love others. I love my neighbor in the same way I love myself. Remember when I talked about put downs? We used to tell kids that we, I put down because it actually reveals how I think about myself. When Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, so important. So important for parents to speak value into their children so that their children grow up with the confidence that they are loved, they're worthy of love. So important for that to happen, for that thing to take place. And the reason we need to love our neighbor as ourselves, because as you've heard the saying, there but for the grace of God, go me, <laughs> go me. 
One of the most valuable lessons I learned, real quick, one of the most valuable lessons I learned, part of the VIP program was subject youth and the law. And rather than talking about youth and the law, because we had a penitentiary situated in our detachment area, we would have one of the model inmates come with a guard, of course, and talk to the kids. And I would say probably 70, 80% of all the inmates told the kids that. When you begin to like yourself, you won't hurt other people. And that the reason they've changed around is because they've learned, they've gone, they've looked at themselves. They've looked at themselves and they've worked that through. And they no longer will hurt other people, right? They don't understand how they ever got there, how they ever started doing that. Paul says something similar. And... One of the things I want you to understand is that Jesus' two commands, or the commands that are both equal, love God with all your being and love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the centerpiece. That's the foundation of what everything is built from. All the writers in the New Testament confirm that in their writings. They stand by that, including Paul. They stand by that. They're, They're adamant about that. Paul says something similar in his letter to the Roman church. The book of Romans starts off with Paul addressing, you know, first of all, this great faith that, you know, what God has done for us is amazing and wonderful. And then Paul slides into these people. He talks about these people who are sexually immoral in the world. And they just bang, 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 and just firing stuff off. The challenge is when you come down to the end of chapter one, you think, wow, Paul has really just hammered them hard, like he's, he's spoken hard. And we read it that Paul is addressing the people who are sexually immoral. The problem with how our scripture is laid out, not how, how it was written or anything like that, but how we have it. One of the, one of the things you just got to be aware of is that when we break it up into chapters, we can read chapters as, as a separate, isolated from the rest of the letter. When publishers put little headings on, you know, different, when they think the topic is changing, we can sometimes read things out of context and we miss what the writer, what the author who was writing it was getting at. That's the case many times in Romans. Paul is a brilliant writer and there's a purpose why he writes what he writes. I'm going to read to you a bit. It'll be up on the screen as well, uh, starting at verse 29 in Romans 1. I'm just going to pick up with his hammering. (laughs) And Paul says, Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. Stop there, full stop. Uh, Paul was a Pharisee right? Pharisee of Pharisees. He was intelligent, brilliant. He understood how rabbis also taught. This, what you see here, is an example of what's called hyperbole, exaggeration, because he's just hammering just about every, it's almost like Paul is trying to pick every sin he can think of out to place on them. 
And then it's like uh, near the end there, they invent new ways of sinning. It's like Paul can't think of any other sinning. So he says they invent new ways of sinning and break their promise. He just goes on and on and on. But Paul continues where chapter one ends and chapter two starts. It's a continuation. Nothing has stopped. And Paul, boom, 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 boom. And part of you will be going, yeah, Paul, yeah. And Paul goes, you may think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad. Oh, and you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself. For you who judge others do these very same things. Point Paul is trying to get across is there but for the grace of God goes I. It's love your neighbor as yourself. It's what Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount. Do not judge. Do not judge. And Paul is saying here, be really, really careful. And the rest of the letter flows through that. Everything is connected. There's a destination Paul is arriving at in his letter to the Romans. Paul's thing... This one point was, we as followers of Jesus are, do love our neighbors as ourselves. That's why Jesus says, don't judge. That's not what love does. Number two reason, I can't see into a person's heart. Here's the truth. Generally, I don't know if you've ever been guilty of, you know, laying out a judgment on somebody. I have, I know I have, you know. Here's the thing. Do I know everything about that person? Not at all. Not at all. Do I know what's in their heart? Not at all. You know, one of the best ways to learn about people, sit and hear their story. Hear where they've come from. Hear what they've experienced. The pain they've experienced. Their challenges in life. It's hard. Life is hard. It's really hard. What's interesting, we in our society, the courts... They, um, it's a good thing the courts don't reel out judgment the way sometimes we'll do in our anger and stuff like that. The courts are very careful that when they, when a judge weighs out the evidence, they hear both sides and then they have to come to a conclusion. And if they're going to find someone guilty, has to be on a, beyond a reasonable doubt. There's any doubt whatsoever. If there's some doubt, they have to find not guilty, have to dismiss it or whatever. They they can't go through with it. It's because you don't really have all the facts. We don't. We don't. We just don't. Third one, it's Jesus' mission. In John 20 there, before Jesus ascended to his father, he told his disciples, gathered them, and he says, as the father has sent me, so I'm sending you. As Jesus, so us. Remember what uh, Jesus said to Nicodemus? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And then he continues on in verse 17, and he tells Nicodemus, God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. That Greek word there, sozo, 
that Greek word, what it means is it means save. It also means to deliver. It means to make whole, to preserve from danger, preserve from loss, and preserve from destruction. That's what that means. That's what Jesus is about. That's the mission he is on. And we are called to follow his mission. What we don't want to do is say to Jesus, no, here's my mission. I need you to bless what I'm doing. Because Jesus doesn't even put up with that stuff. Ask Peter. Ask Peter. Peter fell into that trap of correcting Jesus. Like, I'm sure all the disciples went, oh. (laughs) And poor Peter, you know, he gets... The dude falls flat on his face a few times, and it gets mentioned so much in Scripture, his failings. It's too bad. It's a shame, really. (laughs) But he's a tough guy. But Jesus is talking about preparing for what's going to be coming, for his death that he's going to be facing, and how things are going to come. And Peter won't have any of this. This is not how we do this. If this is a mission, if this is, if we're, if the kingdom of heaven is coming, then Jesus, you can't talk like this. And Peter is calling, come on, get on mission, Jesus. What does Jesus say? Peter, get in line, get behind me. Satan, (laughs) right? Tough words from Jesus, but it's Jesus's mission and we follow him. And as we go out into the world, as we live with our spouses, with our kids, as we interact with our neighbors, our coworkers, our bosses, or our employees, whatever that looks like, and with one another, we want to live in that way. We want, as we sang in the song, Jesus, be the center of my life. Be the center. And sometimes it's hard. Sometimes we do throw out those words, right, that are not helpful to other people. But we keep coming back and we keep following. We say what Peter says. Jesus, where else would we go? You have the words to real life. And we want that real life. As Jesus, so us. We follow him. I just want to... uh, as we go into prayer, as we go into the response, how do we respond to this? I, as I was praying yesterday about, Lord, what is it you would want to say to us? What is it you're, you're wanting to do? And I just really strongly sense the Lord saying that there's many of us, myself included, who have had words spoken to us, words that were, they had that tone of condemnation. And it's like a wound that we've experienced. And it follows us. And it's, and it's almost like it's misshapened us in some way. And I just really strongly sense the Holy Spirit that God wants to come and minister. And I don't know if that's you or not, if you're there. But you know, there's things that can get said to us. Not necessarily on purpose. You know, but people out of frustration say things. But we take it to heart, you know, especially if we've trusted a person, right? And, and you know, they, they say something, it's go bang, just goes right to our heart. 
and it wounds and it hurts. And Jesus is the healer of our hearts. He is the healer. One of the beauties of the Holy Spirit is that God knows how difficult it is. And, you know, Jesus says, he told his disciples, I have to go. Because when I do, the Father will send the Holy Spirit to you. And the Holy Spirit will come and will guide you and will teach you and will show you and will convict you. And we read conviction as bad. No, conviction is, hey, you're going this way, you need to get back in this way. That's all conviction is. So doing this life, doing life the Jesus way, isn't meant for us to do it on our own. We have the Holy Spirit that comes. We have one another comes and helps us and says, hey, don't forget. We help each other. and We walk with each other. We don't abandon one another. We don't do that. It's not what love does. Mm-hmm.